Welcome to the Red Light Report, your number one source for all things red light therapy, where you will learn how to optimize your health, wellness, and longevity with the power of photobiomodulation. I'm your host, Dr. Mike Belkowski. All right, guys, welcome back to another episode of the Red Light Report. So in the previous episode, Mitochondria Part 1, we heard from three of the top experts in their fields, and as it relates to mitochondria, we heard from Dr. Doug Wallace, Dr. Jack Cruz, and Dr. Gerald Pollock. And we dug a little bit into the science of the mitochondria, how it works, why it's imperative that you optimize the health, wellness, efficiency, effectiveness of your mitochondria, because, as Dr. Doug Wallace said, about 80% of modern diseases are related to mitochondrial dysfunction. So, going forward in this episode, we're going to learn a little more about the mitochondria, how they work, the fundamentals of the life of a mitochondria, the electron transport chain, we'll get a little more into that, and we'll learn about how they regenerate themselves, how they kill themselves off for the betterment of the entire system, and really, at the end, we'll have a quick way that you can best optimize your mitochondria. And it's not red light therapy. So without further ado, let's get the ball rolling. Just for a quick review on mitochondria, we know that the mitochondria have evolved to be the powerhouses or the energy factories of the cell. They are the organelles that act like a cellular digestive system that takes the nutrients, breaks them down, and creates the energy for the cell, known as ATP, adenosine triphosphate. And the process of creating this cellular energy is known as cellular respiration. And most of the chemical reactions involved in cellular respiration happen in the mitochondria. And so the mitochondria are very small organelles. We know that there's hundreds to several thousands of mitochondria per cell. And the number of mitochondria per cell depends on how much energy that cell utilizes. For example, there are large numbers and quantity of mitochondria found in the heart and skeletal muscle. And that's because they require a lot of energy for the mechanical work, pumping of the heart and contraction of the muscles. Also in most organs, such as the pancreas with its biosynthesis of insulin and the liver where detoxification takes place. And of course in the brain where there's a tremendous amount of oxygen and energy required to utilize the brain and of course nerve cells as well to conduct electrical pulses. So metabolically active cells, such as those in the heart, muscles, brain, and so on, have thousands and thousands of mitochondria. They're very mitochondrial dense. And the egg cell, the oocyte, has a whopping 100,000 mitochondria. By far the most mitochondrial dense tissue or cell that we have in our biology. It's the egg cell. And in contrast, interestingly, the sperm cell usually has fewer than 100 mitochondria. So that's kind of where, as Dr. Doug Wallace told us in the last episode, we can track our really mitochondrial health and what we inherit directly from our moms maternally. And so there we go. The egg has 100,000 mitochondria. The sperm has less than 100. So that makes sense. Red blood cells and skin cells have very, very few, if any at all. But by weight, a person's body weight is up to 10% 
made up of mitochondria. If you weigh 150 pounds, about 15 pounds of that weight is mitochondria. In actual numbers, there's about 10 million billion mitochondria in your body. 10 million billion. 10% of your weight makes sense after hearing that number. <laughs> and so now we're starting to realize why the mitochondria plays such a vital role. Not only what, what it does, but the quantity that resides in each and one of our bodies means that if it's functioning, functioning optimally, things are probably going to be going pretty well for your health. And on the flip side, if you have too many dysfunctional mitochondria, then things probably aren't going so well. You may be sick. You may be dealing with different illnesses, diseases, and that comes back to the mitochondria, at least up to 80% of modern diseases. So breathing, just the act of breathing, supplies the blood with oxygen, which in turn gets transported to just about every one of the trillion cells in the body. The cell delivers this oxygen to the mitochondria, where it is then used to in turn uses the glucose, fatty acids, and even sometimes amino acids or protein into energy via cellular respiration, more specifically aerobic respiration because it's utilizing oxygen. So although it's hard to believe, gram for gram, we are likely the most powerful energy producers in the universe. Pretty darn crazy. And kind of alluding back to what Dr. Jack Cruz and Doug Wallace told us, when you have a low amount of energy, you're going to be sick, you're going to be ill, you're more likely to get diseases. So along those lines, any form of life that cannot generate its own energy is essentially dead. There is no life without energy, specifically electrons. So if we look at different theories of aging, there's been many that have gone through their own evolution, if you will, such as the wear and tear theory, where as you get older, things break down and that's just the way it is. But if that's the case, then people who work out and exercise and athletes, they kind of break that notion because they seem to be healthier even when they get older, provided you're not overtraining. There was a telomere theory where the shortening of the telomeres is kind of a marker of our aging and longevity. There's a free radical theory, which means the more free radicals you produce, uh, the increasing likelihood that you will get sick or shorten your lifespan or just have a lower quality of life. All of those have been debunked in some way, but each have also built on to each other, leading to the mitochondrial theory of aging, which is the most current theory of aging. And it argues that aging and the many diseases that come with it is caused by a slow degeneration in the quality of mitochondria. And this is because during normal cellular respiration, free radicals are created. So these free radicals, they go on to inflict damage to nearby structures, including the DNA in both the mitochondria and the nucleus. And so the free radicals attack the DNA in each of our cells tens of thousands of times daily. So this isn't like, all of a sudden they start attacking you and you start getting sick. No, this is happening frequently on a daily basis. And much of the resulting damage is kind of fixed silently in the background by extensive repair machinery within the cells. 
But sometimes these attacks can cause irreversible damage. And that's where we see permanent mutations in the DNA. And that's where we start to see real health issues. Once the damage reaches a threshold, the cell dies. And slowly over time, tissues start to degenerate with each dying cell. So the steady erosion is really what's responsible for many age-related degenerative diseases and even with the aging process itself. So the mitochondrial theory of aging also explains why we don't see this spiraling catastrophic damage that's predicted by the free radical theory or the other original you know, mitochondrial theories that came before. Because free radicals are used to signal danger, which then allows the cell to adapt. So just like inflammation, free radicals are a signal to cells into our biology. We need those. We need those signals. Otherwise, our body could not adapt and we would not be nearly as resilient as we are. We need inflammation. When you have pain, you need to know pain is there. You twist your ankle, you shouldn't be walking on it with full force because if you do, you're going to do more damage than if you don't. So just like free radicals, we need those free radicals to send signals to our body to induce certain biological or physiological processes. If we didn't have those signals, those processes would not be carried out and our health would decline much more rapidly, ultimately to our impending uh, um, doom, if you will. Also, the mitochondrial theory of aging also explains why the cell doesn't have more antioxidants than it needs. If there were too many, it wouldn't be sensitive to the changes in the redox state. So that's why, while you could argue a lot of us are deficient in antioxidants, whether it's through diet or general lifestyle, environmental, that consuming like too many antioxidant supplements, and of course wine is touted as you know having high antioxidants with the resveratrol, but you don't want to overconsume antioxidants because again, once you have too many antioxidants, you're getting rid of those free radicals, which you actually need for signaling. So just like I said a couple minutes ago, you do want some free radicals for those signaling properties. And you don't want to overconsume antioxidants to really get rid of those signals. If we had too many antioxidants, then we wouldn't be sensitive to the changes in the redox state. Without free radicals, the whole system would fail and the mitochondria would fail to adapt to their changing environment and thus their changing demands. So this would lead to a high rate of mutations, thus a high rate of mitochondrial dysfunction if we had more antioxidants than we needed. And this would cause the inevitable demise, and we would run out of energy and electrons. So free radicals are not as bad as they're made out to be. In fact, clearly, just like inflammation, they're very necessary. So after numerous decades of constantly adapting to a new equilibrium, cells eventually run out of healthy and normal mitochondria. And that's what we would call aging. As the decades go by, our cells deteriorate, we get more and more dysfunctional mitochondria. And when we run out of healthy mitochondria, that's where we start seeing aging. That's where we start seeing diseases and a lower quality of life. After this happens, when the cell signals mitochondria to replicate, there is no choice but to replicate and amplify the defective mitochondria. Because as we age, the ratio of healthy to defective mitochondria gets lower 
And instead of being able to replicate those healthy mitochondria, now our body has no choice but to replicate the defective or dysfunctional mitochondria. So ultimately, cells are overtaken by these dysfunctional mitochondria. Interestingly, if we examined a dysfunctional organ or tissue, we wouldn't actually see an abundance of cells with defective mitochondria. We would only see a few affected cells at any given time. When cells finally get to the point where they're packed full of defective mitochondria, they are given a signal to remove themselves from the community by something called apoptosis. While this fact means we don't find high levels of dysfunctional or defective mitochondria in aging tissues, it does result in the slow but steady loss of tissue density and function, such as osteoporosis with bone or sarcopenia with muscle. So really, it's this apoptosis where we're continuing to lose more and more cells that this is the prerequisite for aging, disease, and ultimately death. And we still don't know exactly what the signal for apoptosis is, but two related factors are probably involved. One is the percentage of dysfunctional mitochondria, and then secondly, the total ATP or energy level in the cell relative to its demand. As a cell gets the signal for apoptosis, what happens to the tissue and eventually the whole organ is dependent on the type of cell it's composed of. If it's a type of cell that is regularly replaced by stem cells that have preserved its mitochondria in an untarnished state, then there won't be any negative side effect. But if it's a type of cell that's typically irreplaceable, such as the nerve cell, then with each cell death, the tissue starts to atrophy and the remaining cells are under even greater pressure to meet the functional demands of the organ. So as the surviving cells get pushed closer to their own metabolic threshold, they are more likely to be negatively affected by the countless number of external factors that place additional strain on them. So as we age, the process accelerates as fewer and fewer cells are left to do the work of many. So really, it's like a drop in the bucket. Every drop you take out puts a higher and higher demand on the water that's left in the bucket. And we keep pulling you know, little drops of water out of that bucket as we get more and more dysfunctional mitochondria Again, which puts more and more demand on the remaining cells and tissues, and it kind of gets exponential as we age if we do not fix the issue. So remember, this explains why we don't see mitochondrial mutations spiraling out of control, because defective mitochondria and the cells that contain them are constantly eliminated, again, by apoptosis. However, the number of functional cells in any particular organ will decrease, which is known as atrophy. You don't exercise your muscle, you're going to get atrophy muscle. You don't continuously do cognitive tasks, your brain will atrophy. So, this is how degenerative diseases take hold. For example, as the quality of beta cells in the pancreas decreases, insulin levels fall off. As a heart loses its muscle cells, its contraction becomes less efficient. As the neurons in the brain start to die off, dementia sets in. So, in each case, there is a threshold. Losing a few cells in the heart is unlikely to result in heart failure, but you lose enough of those heart cells and the function of the heart will be compromised. Hey there, guys. So I know you're excited to learn about red light therapy, but I'm betting that you're also interested in finding a high-quality red light therapy device. Well, look no further than my company, BioLite. But don't take my word for it. Listen to the thousands of customers 
that have come before you and have chosen BioLite because of its unprecedented combination of high light power, low EMF emission, and low light flicker. So you're not only getting the most effective treatment option, but the safest as well. And there's many sizes to choose from. There's handheld devices, tabletop models, and even full body panels. So there's definitely a size to match your lifestyle and health and wellness goals. As an added bonus, you can claim a $100 value gift at checkout when you use coupon code REDLIGHTPODCAST. Just go to www.biolight.shop, choose whichever device is going to match your health and wellness needs, and use coupon code REDLIGHTPODCAST to claim your $100 gift. Again, that's www.biolight.shop. So let's move on to everyone's favorite topic the electron transport chain. We learned a little bit about it last time, mostly from Dr. Jack Cruz and why it's important to keep your respiratory proteins in the electron transport chain as close together so that we could tunnel electrons as efficiently as possible. So it's critical to understand that the passage of electrons down this chain is not always 100% efficient. And just like we learned last episode, a small percentage of electrons are fumbled in this molecular game of hot potato, and these leak into the matrix. And the rogue electrons then prematurely react with oxygen, resulting in the formation of superoxide, which is a potentially dangerous free radical. And free radicals are highly reactive molecules that contribute to this quote-unquote oxidative stress. And this process has been implicated in a number of diseases and even aging itself. In fact, those familiar with the concept of free radicals might be interested to know that the electron transport chain is the main site for endogenous free radical production, meaning the free radicals produced within our body, as opposed to the ones uh, generated from other sources like environmental pollutants. So we know the primary cause of mitochondrial damage is the free radicals generated by the mitochondria themselves. So just like we learned in last episode that mitochondria are pretty magical in the sense that not only do they produce energy, but they produce water, which goes around the respiratory proteins, which then when they release infrared light and heat, they shrink that water, which brings the respiratory proteins closer together, making electron tunneling more efficient. Well, when the opposite happens and the respiratory proteins get spread out, whether it's through, let's say, being dehydrated or surrounded by too many non-native EMFs, and then we start to stretch those respiratory proteins so the distance is greater, then we start to see loss of electrons through the electron transport chain, which get oxidized and then produce free radicals. So while when operating correctly, it's pretty darn magical, but when they're dysfunctional and they're not operating properly and the electron transport chain is stretched, then they actually harm themselves because they produce the highest amount of endogenous free radicals. So, this all really depends, the free radical damage, it all really depends on the availability of both fuel and oxygen. For example, let's consider a person in a developing country during a period of famine. This person has a shortage of fuel, and therefore, hardly any electrons flowing down the electron transport chain. All the food we consume gives us electrons that are stripped on the electron transport chain eventually develop that produce that ATP in oxygen or ATP in water. So if you're not consuming a lot of food, then you're not going to have as many electrons going down the electron transport chain. And in this instance, even though there might be plenty of oxygen available to this person, 
there are going to be very few free radicals leaking because there's a lack of electrons. Then let's consider on the flip side, a well-fed elite athlete in training. And this person's muscle cells have plenty of fuel, but also a high demand for energy. So electrons flow smoothly down the electron transport chain to oxygen and relatively few free radicals leak because the ATP is constantly being used up because they're just constantly in movement, contracting those muscles. However, if we consider a well-fed sedentary person, well, in this case, the mitochondria have plenty of fuel because they're eating a lot, but the cells aren't using the ATP that are being generated because they're just sitting on a couch, a couch potato, if you will. So the ATP levels remain high with little turnover. And with this low demand for ATP, because you're just sitting, you're not utilizing energy, the electron transport chains become backed up with excessive electrons. So this is an important point to remember. When you have a lot of energy, but you're not using it, the electron transport chains become backed up with excessive electrons. So there is still plenty of oxygen, as well as an abundance of highly reactive uh, electrons. So there is a high rate of free radical leakage. This burst of free radicals will exceed the built-in antioxidant defensive system in our body and oxidize the lipids in the mitochondrial membranes. It's at this point the electron flow down the electron transport chain is completely stopped. And so the upstream sections of the electron transport chain become full of electrons. And it's these electrons that continue to leak and form more free radicals. Once the stress crosses a threshold, pores in the outer mitochondrial membrane open up and initiate the first steps of cellular suicide. So by consuming too much food, and being relatively inactive, you're going to destroy your electron transport chain. There's going to be excessive electrons, excessive electron leakage, high amount of free radicals. And then at some point, the electron flow down the electron transport chain will completely stop. And when that cell or that mitochondria is not producing energy, then that's setting up the stage for cellular suicide or apoptosis. So, really, if you eat a lot, and you don't utilize that energy, you're actually destroying your mitochondria, you're actually destroying your cells. So it's no coincidence that this type of a person likely is going to have metabolic syndrome of some type. They're going to have diabetes. They're going to have metabolic syndrome. They're going to have high cholesterol. They might have high blood pressure and obesity, of course, overweight. And that all comes down to not utilizing the electrons that you're stuffing down your maw, if you will. You eat too much, you don't move enough, this is what happens. It literally comes down to the mitochondria and the cells and the electron transport chain. So if we could just slow down the rate of free radical leakage from the mitochondria even further, we could significantly delay the onset of degenerative diseases or perhaps even eliminate them altogether. At this point in time, as far as the research in the mitochondrial world, improving Mitochondrial function and slowing their decay appear to be the most promising and realistic way to address both degenerative diseases and aging. Again, it comes down to slowing the rate of free radical leakage. Regarding mitochondria, after you know energy production, producing ATP, 
The next most critical uh, function of the mitochondria is regulating death, the death of the cell, the death of a mitochondria. They are forced to commit cellular suicide or apoptosis, like we mentioned above. If the mechanisms regulating apoptosis fail, the one serious consequence is cancer, which is why apoptosis is critical for the integrity and organization of multicellular organisms. Again, this process is controlled by the mitochondria. If you have dysfunctional mitochondria, then your apoptosis won't be regulated like it should, and ultimately, the downstream effect is cancer. If the overall picture painted by the various signals indicates that the cell is no longer functioning properly or within the confines of the greater good, meaning the the entire cell or the entire organ or the entire body, then the mitochondria initiates the cellular suicide program. And the mitochondria that die through apoptosis will be broken down in an orderly mitochondrial version of apoptosis called mitophagy. So just like there's autophagy, which is cellular cleanup, there is mitophagy, which is essentially mitochondrial cleanup. And as they're broken down, their components will be recycled But ultimately, the most damaged and dysfunctional mitochondria are continuously eradicated from the population. In this fashion, most cells can theoretically extend their life almost indefinitely by persistently correcting the deficit. So as long as your apoptosis is in order and the dysfunctional, the defective mitochondria are being put into the cellular suicide program, apoptosis, then the health of your cell could remain or persist almost indefinitely. And if you have healthier and healthier cells, you're going to have healthier and healthier organs, healthier systems, healthier body. So again, it comes down to not allowing your mitochondria to become dysfunctional or too many of them to become dysfunctional so that the apoptosis program does not operate correctly. Only the least damaged mitochondria tend to replicate. So there's usually no obvious sign of mitochondrial mutations or damage. However, as we age, the cells rely more and more on defective mitochondria. So just like we spoke about uh, previously, that's kind of a hallmark of aging. As you get older, as you accumulate more and more dysfunctional mitochondria, and you're not able to utilize the apoptosis or cell death program, your body has to rely more and more on these dysfunctional, on these defective mitochondria versus replicating mostly healthy mitochondria. So needless to say, you would be wise to appreciate and take care of your mitochondria. And there are a number of methods, but improving and clearing and recycling of senescent cells is one of the top ways to take care of your mitochondria. And for those who aren't familiar with the term senescence or senescent cells, well, in technical terms, senescence is the condition or process of deterioration with age. On a cellular level, it is a state whereby a perfectly functioning cell is found to have DNA damage. In response, places itself in a pseudo-shutdown mode until the problem can be sorted out. So cellular senescence is an irreversible cell cycle arrest mechanism that acts to protect against cancer by limiting the proliferation of old or damaged cells, just like we've been talking about. So basically, cellular senescence is a permanent state of sleep a cell goes into. 
And while this state is good for preventing ailments like cancer, it is also associated with a release of inflammatory products like cytokines and chemokines and higher energy consumption, pulling away energy from your healthy cells. So this production of pro-inflammatory cytokines and chemokines happens irrespective of the senescence-inducing stressor or mechanism. So cultured cells usually reach senescence within several weeks after exposure to senescence-inducing stressors, but remain viable for months after that. So that means that these senescent cells are kind of like zombies, and they'll float around releasing inflammation, and they're virtually sucking the life out of your body by deferring vital energy that would normally be directed toward healthy cells. So they're zombies in the literal sense. So how can we prevent the buildup of senescent cells? Well, fasting is one such method for accomplishing this and has been proven to have profound positive effects on overall health, vitality, and longevity. A lot of benefits from fasting come from enhanced cellular autophagy. And autophagy, kind of like mitophagy, is the body's way of cleaning up and cleaning out damaged cells in order to regenerate newer, healthier cells. And so an extended fast, such as a three to five day water fast, will amplify the autophagy-inducing effects and more efficiently clear senescent cells and activate mitophagy. But this type of fast, three to five days, should only be done by experienced individuals. You shouldn't just go from eating three meals a day to trying a water, a three to five day water fast. You really need to work your way up to that. And so two individuals who are very well known in the fasting world are Dr. Jason Fung and Dr. Daniel Pompa. So I'd highly recommend that if you're interested in fasting, how to utilize fasting protocols, how to integrate intermittent fasting into your daily life or just your health regimen, I'd highly recommend looking into Dr. Jason Fung and Dr. Dan Pompa. And again, the whole point of fasting in this sense is that you, again, enhance autophagy, which is going to enhance mitophagy, which means you're going to get rid of those zombie cells, those senescent cells, and you're going to decrease the amount of dysfunctional mitochondria per cell in the hopes that instead of replicating dysfunctional mitochondria, you will be replicating healthy, effective, functional mitochondria. So to wrap up here, let's think back to the example I used earlier where there's a person in a a developing country during a period of famine who experiences a shortage of fuel and therefore has hardly any electrons flowing down the electron transport chain. So even though there might be plenty of oxygen available, very few free radicals leak simply because of the lack of electrons. However, in famine, of course, there's also malnutrition. And caloric restriction differs from famine because a person might significantly lower the calories they consume, but they ensure that all the foods they do consume are nutrient-dense. So the result is that very few free radicals leak due to a reduced amount of electrons. So this concept helps explain the opposite, where excessive Caloric intake introduces an excessive amount of fuel into the body and ultimately excessive electrons into the mitochondrial electron transport chains. An overabundance of electrons causes leakage at a very high rate, which might be why obesity is linked to countless degenerative diseases. Because again, we're getting those excessive electrons leaking out of the electron transport chain and thus 
free radical production, excessive free radical production. Although an increase in the maximum life lifespan potential hasn't yet been achieved for humans, based on what I've just discussed, there's a great deal of hope that it will happen soon. Because if indeed the mitochondria are the crux of aging, the fact that the best mitochondria with the best mitochondrial DNA are used as templates for the generation of more mitochondria, that the cell is better at repairing damage to the mitochondria DNA than previously thought, and that defective mitochondria are constantly eliminated, at least theoretically, the cell should be able to go on doing this indefinitely. Again, just to repeat that, with mitochondria being able to use its own mitochondrial DNA to replicate or use it as a template for the production of more mitochondria. So not only that, but also they're kind of self-policing and getting rid of dysfunctional, defective mitochondria, provided they have enough energy to do so. So we'll wrap up the episode there, and I hope you found that useful information interesting. Again, I know it was a little bit deep into the science, and just like the previous episode, if some of it was kind of difficult or or tough to understand or tough to comprehend for the very first time, I highly recommend that you re-listen to the episode or the sections that you didn't understand. Because again, the more you can understand about the mitochondria and the hows and the whys of how they function and the hows and whys of why it's important to optimize your mitochondria's health, to optimize your health and longevity, then not just for red light therapy purposes, but for your everyday purposes, for fasting, food choices, grounding with the earth to get those electrons, getting the full spectrum sunlight outside to get those electrons, doing the right things to shrink your respiratory protein distance so that you don't have a leakage of electrons, so you don't produce excessive amounts of free radicals, because all of that leads to a low redox potential, which we learned from Dr. Jack Cruz means that you have more of a positive charge and less of of a negative charge. And as we remember from last episode, high inflammation is lots of protons, low inflammation is high electrons. So it's no coincidence that the earth has a negative charge. So when you stand outside barefoot, you get those free electrons and you're feeding your body exactly what it needs. So I hope you learn lots and next week, look forward to an interview from a holistic dentist, Dr. Kelly Blodgett. But for today, this has been a privilege and an honor to go over this dense science with you all. And without further ado, this is Dr. Mike Belkowski signing off from the Red Light Report. Hope you guys have a great week. Thank you for listening to the Red Light Report. If you like what you heard today, go ahead and leave us a review on iTunes and other podcast platforms to help spread the word so other people can learn about the many health, wellness, and longevity benefits of red light therapy. If you're looking for more educational content, check out our Instagram page at biolight.shop and our YouTube channel, Biolight. I'm Dr. Mike Belkowski, and I'll see you on the next episode.